0: This week on Hangar Talk, future VTOL aircraft
1: get a little bit closer, and change is coming to duats. Also, tragedy on New York City's East River. Learn about augmented reality at Western Michigan.
0: All right, David, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk in from AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right. Two with attack, zero, with zero, your hosts. Ian Twombly and David
1: Toulis. This is Hangar
0: Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Toulis. And uh, David, you spoke to our guest this week, so tell us a little bit about her.
1: I did. It took a while to get in touch with her, but we, uh, we found Shasta Ways an around-the-world pilot, a female pilot, that uh, flew around the world in 2017. And I ran into her in uh, southern Oregon at a STEM event. Awesome. She has a lot to say about teaching STEM subjects and how pilots use that.
0: Okay, cool. And uh, just a... inspiring figure, uh, relatively young, and to fly around the world solo She's for anybody very to dynamic. do that. Yeah.
1: She flew around the world solo in a Beechcraft Bonanza, and the one-year anniversary is coming up, and we'll have some breaking news about that.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Very cool. All right. Well, we're looking forward to that. Let's start with the news. This one is pretty interesting. We've seen a lot of these VTOL... Aircraft coming up, right? I think Uber pushed it a couple of years ago, or right. about a year ago now.
1: And for our, and for our other podcast listeners, it's vertical takeoff and landing. Yep, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: that's right. Now, come on, you got to know the lingo. We're not going to tell you the lingo. You just have to know it. We have to know all the abbreviations. Yeah. So I want to talk about Kitty Hawk. This is this company that was started by um, Google co-founder Larry Page. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's some big bucks behind it. There are. Yeah, and uh, some success. Um,
1: yeah, with they, that they, sort they of demoed world. their uh, their one of their projects last summer at um, Oshkosh, at AirVenture.
0: Yeah, you've seen this. This is like the Oh, what is this thing? It's like a motorcycle and a, like a, and a snowmobile like and a jet ski, uh,
1: but also looks like a flying inner tube. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a thing. it's got like the net around it. and You sit on what looks like a almost like a motorcycle chassis, and
1: and, and it's made to be a, in near a water environment, a lake environment, something like that.
0: Yeah, and a toy, really. I mean, this was a toy. Yeah, yeah. Now they're past the toy stage. Let's Little say. did we know what yeah. they really
1: had up their sleeve.
0: Yeah. So they have developed this autonomous, meaning no pilot, no no airborne pilot aircraft. That will carry people. This is one of these urban VTOL things. So the idea is, you live in the burbs, uh, you want to go from building to building in a congested city. Mm-hmm. You can presumably hail one of these things on your
1: phone and from from a building rooftop. Yep, get, allegedly.
0: Yep, get into it. It'll take
1: you vertically and then power you across to wherever you want to go and land you vertically. Right. And this this aircraft has uh, twelve electric motors for liftoff and one pusher prop.
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting to see the various ways that these companies are attacking this problem, this VTOL problem. I mean, obviously the one that's truly worked is the tilt rotor, Uh um, and that that is... Like the Osprey. Yeah, exactly, the Osprey, and so it's like that has these massive turbine engines, and the thing takes off vertically and, you know, goes and then transitions, and obviously that's expensive and heavy and everything else, so... What they're doing, and some others are doing, is they're just mounting both engines. Yeah,
1: just have one to lift up and one to propel you forward. Yeah, yeah, because that Osprey, I mean, the whole engine pod like turns. Yeah, exactly. And that's got to be costly and, and yeah. extremely tough to build. You know, from a technological standpoint. Yeah, I mean, and to bring that back it. to to, to some right. level where you could afford it would be hard to do.
0: Yeah, and they've worked on it for decades and everything else. And so the idea here is, okay, we got something that's sort of like a helicopter, more
1: almost more like a drone quadcopter. Right.
0: Um takes off, you shut off the engines, it goes forward, and so you have these two separate systems. So,
1: But now, one interesting thing uh, to me, Ian, was that, that this was unveiled in New Zealand, hmm. not in U.S. of A. That's interesting. Although these the folks are, you you know... They're West Coasters. Yeah, West yeah. Coast, based in the U.S.A. And and I think that is partly due to the, the more welcoming environment over in New Zealand. Hmm. And uh, you and I were chatting about this right before the podcast. You know, a lot of the technology was developed and introduced elsewhere, like in Canada. I remember the early drone research was done elsewhere, because I think the FAA has a hard time with the airspace and other regulations, and companies don't want to wait. They would rather jump into it.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's like, to me, these guys... They're going to have the same problems as everybody else. They're going to figure out the technology faster than e-
1: then we'll be able to implement it. That's right,
0: right. either a regulatory or until you and I are going to feel confident enough to sit in one of these things and go across town. Yeah. So.
1: Now, before we leave the subject, I also thought it was interesting that, that this particular aircraft has a name, and it's called CORA, C-O-R-A. <laughs> So, my Mooney's name was Jasmine. Oh, really? I'm okay with that. (laughs) But, but Cara. But that was a
0: nickname, and this is (laughs) official. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Interesting. We'll see how
0: to see if that sticks or not. Yeah.
1: So, you remember Duats, right? Oh, man, do I ever. Now, a what do-ot or Duots? You have oh, okay. to be specific. I know.
0: I know. Well, Duots the program, let's call it. Right. Here we go. You ready? That's another acronym. Okay. Direct User Access Terminal Service. The funny part about that one is that doesn't mean anything. Uh-uh. Um, <laughs> so, but if you're, you know, if you've been flying for the past, let's call it uh, 20 years or so, you know what DUATS is. It's
1: really helpful. It's our online interface to get the weather and get flight briefings, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just been extremely helpful. In fact, when I was a student pilot in in 2000, I was very happy to get that service.
0: Yeah. So cry a little tear, David, because um,
1: Duats is going away. It is. Yeah. What am I going to do with my password and everything? Uh,
0: I don't know. I, every time I use it, I have to call them and get get them to renew <laughs> it anyway. So, um, yeah. So don't don't be too alarmed. The idea of an online Flight planning service is not going away. No, it is not. It's just that the FAA, the way they run these contracts, they had a separate contract for flight service and for Duots. Yeah, and that's more or less going away. Is the easiest the contract way to think about is that. that? Yeah, so they're not going to renew the Duots contract. So CSRA, uh, which was one of the providers, yeah, um, they won't be pro- providing anything anymore. But Lightos, which provides flight service, they came
1: right into the picture um, recently. I guess in the past couple of years, they've had more of a higher profile. But, um, but Leidos is moving ahead with a lot of things, and they're a big company. Yeah. Their specialty is in, is in that type of service.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so they have a website that's been up for uh, a couple of years already. And if you haven't used it, it's really phenomenal. It's www.1800wxbrief.com, uh-huh. which we know where that's from. I like it. It's a really good one. Just use it. Now, the one thing is if you have a flight planning app that uses – a CSRA feed.
1: Like an interface.
0: Yeah. Like it pulls from that. Yeah, exactly. Then you'll need to change that over. I see. So keep that in mind, whether you use an AOPA or flight or whatever. Well,
1: AOPA's is a really good pre-flight planner, too. I mean, just to give a little plug for that, I usually use that first before I get going on anything else. Mm, it's cool. really helpful to me. It gives me a little bit more of the big picture. Yeah, I nice. get a nice briefing out of that. Nice. I really like it.
0: Yeah, good, good. So um, anyway, Duat's going away, but online flight planning will not. You can use 800-WX-BRIEF, or you can still call on the phone. Important to know. Use your flight planning app, whatever.
1: So it's just basically a little contract deal, not to be alarmed. Everything is still fine. Yeah, that's right. Nothing to see here. Move on. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I want to talk about this helicopter crash in the East River of New York. Um, No doubt everybody's heard about this by now. There's this really dramatic video. uh, But every day with this accident, more stuff comes out. And it's really... um, Lots of questions I think they're going to be asked as a result of this accident,
1: yeah, I mean, first of all it's it's fun to fly and it's fun to fly in a helicopter, and New York City is a beautiful place to see from the air mm-hmm. but I think that uh, as a tour operator, you really have to be extremely safety conscious, and we're starting to find out a little bit more about the best of intentions that went awry,
0: yeah, so I you know if you haven't run into this, I want to explain just a little bit about what happened they. Because if you just read the basic reporting, it's a little confusing because they okay. say that it was a photo flight, which to you and I means there's a professional photographer. yeah, you know, they're they're being uh, contracted to go shoot a certain thing. But apparently in New York, what some of these tour operators have been doing is they've they'll, they'll take the doors off the uh-huh. helicopter, which is normal, and that's yeah. fine. Um, because but, you're harnessed in. Yeah, but they'll right. give you a harness and latch you in with a carabiner to the structure of the helicopter.
1: So you can turn around and kind of sit your feet on the struts and, and face outwards. Exactly. So it's
0: a it's like a thrill-seekers New York tour, basically.
1: For someone who's not an aviator, this could be a pretty cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. So And that really
0: is the crux of everything that happened. I mean, if you see the video, um, clearly some sort of a power failure. There was a, an auto-rotation. It looks like by... I mean, by the video evidence, it looks like the pilot did a flawless job with the auto rotation. Shutting it down. Yep. Yeah. All those helicopters have emergency floats for the skids. They yep. deployed. Apparently, what happened? I've read some that said one of the floats then failed, uh, which that would
1: tilt the helicopter one way or the other. That's make it right. it less stable.
0: That's right. Which is what allowed it to flip over. And of course, anytime you have the doors open, it's going to flood quickly. Right. And you have these carabiners latched in, which means. The pilot. This is the reason that the pilot was able to get out, and the passengers weren't. Is pilot's got a normal seatbelt. He unlatches. He's gone. Passengers though, they're strapped in with a carabiner.
1: And and the New York Post wrote today that the harnesses looked like that looked like it might have been an off-the-shelf piece that someone could get at Home Depot, like for window washers. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So we're not sure if that is the case or not. But um, if it is, and you're carabinered in, it could be extremely difficult to get out in the water. Because there are professionals that have courses that specialize in underwater escape.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we had one of these at, uh, at a fly-in last year, Survival Systems. They're out of Groton. Mm-hmm. This is one of these. They put you in a, a fuselage of some sort, of vessel of some sort, Dump. You know, turn the lights off, spray water from the ceiling, flip you upside down. And Tom Horan, uh, who works for us and, and who has done one of these courses, says it's unbelievably disorienting.
1: I'll bet it is. Yeah. Plus, it's dark and cold.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so and that's with training. Right. Um, and so you can imagine a tourist who is now in the water, um, shocked. The water is very cold. It's like. Plus,
1: they're already disoriented. The fact that they're going down on yeah. a slicing, yeah. you know, trip. This that's could be right. e- extremely disorienting to begin with. Yeah.
0: So, you know, lots of things might come from this. Uh, one, you know, the FAA has already put a little bit of a curb on these open door flights. The NTSB is recommending that the FAA ban all open-door commercial passenger-carrying aircraft flights. Now, that's tough. I mean, that's you can a, center, but, That could actually yeah.
1: include us when we're doing our air-to-air
0: yeah. in a way. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, lots of stuff to think about there. I mean, there's all kinds of operators that use open-door with right. harnesses.
1: And, well, well, let's just throw one other thing. How about a commercial balloon op Yeah. as open-door? Yeah, what does that mean, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, what's the interpretation there? So um, it, a really tragic accident. Obviously, we think the tours you know have a place and um, and are generally are very safe, but mm-hmm. it never hurts to kind of look at your operations and see how you can increase safety.
1: And it goes back to pre-flight planning and the passenger briefing and that that is drummed into us from the time that we first uh, belt ourselves in into a one seventy two when we get our first lessons, you know, do that briefing and be serious about it.
0: yeah. Yep. All
1: right. Um, I want
0: to go on to something really cool, something high tech again. Let's talk about this. You wrote this story and it's a really fascinating look at what's going on in, in collegiate aviation these days, um, specifically at Western Michigan.
1: I wish I was a student at Western Michigan uh, College of Aviation in Lori Brown's class because I would <laughs> not skip that class, nor would I fall asleep in there. <laughs> so uh, she is using uh, a program called Jet Explore. It's uh, uh, with uh, Microsoft backing to teach students how they could see, touch, and feel the aircraft systems that they're actually learning to operate. Mm-hmm. So they're learning uh, about cockpits uh, for jet airliners, uh, for career aviators, and they're actually able to, to see and move knobs and switches as if it was the real thing. And so it re- it's, it's a lot of repetition, and it gets you familiar with the systems. And so I get all that. And uh, cool. yeah, uh, Lori said that um, when she was a little kid, um, and she's a longtime aviator, she's a pilot as well, and um, as well as a, an educator. She said she sat in a chair and put a, a picture of a like a Cessna 172 panel yeah. uh, on the wall in front of her, chair and, flying, yeah, man. and closed her eyes and tried yeah. to figure out where everything was. Yeah, so she wanted to take it to a whole new level, and um, and she said that's where you know the, she wants the future to be, and and really keep students involved and. And, and get them on the cutting edge. Yeah. So she she uh, she was inspired by Walt Disney. Oh wow, I thought. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That is cool. I mean,
0: these photos you you have her uh, in the story that they've provided are really cool because. Basically, they it looks like a real cockpit. And the kids are just wearing, um, you know, this headgear virtual re- uh-huh.
1: virtual reality headgear.
0: Yeah. Do I sound old? You know, virtual reality headgear. I'm sure uh-huh. there's a more technical name for it.
1: Three um, D HoloLens technology. H O L O. There you go. L E N S. HoloLens technology.
0: But it looks so real. I mean, and and so the kids can actually go and manipulate this stuff as if it were happening.
1: Yeah. She said, I talked to her on the phone, and and I seriously, I would love to take that class. She said, look, we can't afford to pull a, you know. 737 into our classroom mm-hmm. but we can sure do this yeah and it well, another interesting thing Ian is that think about doing um think about being a professional pilot and you're having to do the walk around on a on a CRJ or something mm-hmm. and so at night in the in the cold and the wind and everything well they could actually do a virtual reality augmented reality walk around they can do a pre-flight walk around with this technology and they don't have to go outside
0: yeah that's
1: and, awesome and so it gives them a chance to look and explore the the aircraft a lot better too and just just really get familiar with it, and the theory being that you know the more you're into it, the more you do, the easier it is for you. The more you remember, it. and you know, it just comes second nature.
0: Yeah, and I could see when you're learning systems. I mean, could you imagine when you're learning about how the engine operates if you had this three D representation yeah. in front of you that you could open up hatches and. You know, take off things and look inside things. I mean, that would be fam-
1: amazing. amazing. I'm glad you brought that up because that is one thing that um, that Lori's group does, and they they work in groups of four. To do this in a small, you know, lab environment, but they do look at a you know a jet engine and see how it works and what could make it not work. And the whole thing that's cool about this is that right now the technology is still a little expensive at three thousand bucks per unit. But Lori said it is coming down in price. He's hoping to work with Microsoft, and really when they roll it out commercially, it could be in the thousand dollar range, and that would that would open it up to a lot of other schools. And then the next thing to really think about moving it forward would be to to teach this kind of class. Via virtual reality, yeah, and augmented reality. So yeah. that's the next step. So yeah,
0: so you could have one really great teacher somewhere and yeah. like thousands of kids taking it at the same she time. She said it
1: could be a game changing experience.
0: Yeah, that's we'll ha- so
1: cool. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Very cool. Um, all
0: right, another new tech, and we're going to finish on this. That's uh, fascinating. Is is Dynon? Um, we talked about them a little bit when we were discussing the non TSO upgrade path. Uh-huh. Um, this you know cheaper way to get advanced technology, advanced avionics in the cockpit. Dynan has gone full tilt. They've gone all in, and they have earned an STC for their Skyview HDX, which is, uh, if you're not familiar, it's essentially, you know, their quote-unquote G1000. It is beautiful. Yeah, it's
1: it's the full screen. uh, You know, they're going to hate that G1000. It's like an acre of electronics in front of your eyes.
0: Yeah, it is the full-size PFD engine instrumentation. You it's know, set up for screen. a Cessna
1: 172, which yeah. is kind of the news that goes with that. That's right. And uh, bringing it, bringing the affordability down a little bit. Um, it's two thousand dollars per per 172 for the STC. Yeah. But then you still have to buy the equipment. Yeah. to And get it installed.
0: Yeah, which they're saying is about sixteen grand. Mm-hmm. Which, when you look at what it's capable of, is just phenomenal.
1: I'll tell you what. I recently flew behind um, a Cessna JTA. It didn't have the Dynon stuff, but it had the Garmin, and it was that was life-changing for me
0: yeah it's amazing i mean when you consider that you know it was what 10 years ago now when aspen really broke open this aftermarket uh pfd mfd mm-hmm. sort of world and what they were offering for the price at the time and now where we've come and where dine on it is and it, it's it's amazing and i amazing think it's just stuff. gonna
1: continue to come down in price and go up in uh, capability yeah and really like i've said before anything that helps you from a safety standpoint i, I think is good to go yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm really behind that.
0: Yeah, I mean, just a couple of years ago, this stuff would have been like hundreds of thousands of bucks and only available for biz and, and everything else. Absolutely. And now you've got synthetic vision and PFD and MFD and engine of instrumentation, and it's all in 172, which is
1: that'll that'll help. And yeah. as owners, uh, you know, upgrade their aircraft, that this is this might be one of the systems they look at yeah. in light of the 2020 uh, mandate for ADSB yeah. and other things.
0: Yeah, that's true. So um, all right, let's bring on our guests. I can't wait to hear more about Shasta because uh, really inspiring person, uh, inspiring story, and a, and a great trip.
1: That's right. We're going to hear from uh, Shasta Ways, and I uh, was able to get with her and do a little podcast in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, uh, where the Southern Oregon Air Academy is located, and she's going to tell us a little bit about science, technology, engineering, and math and how it helped her on her around-the-world journey. I'm going to welcome to Hangar Talk uh, Shasta Ways, uh, an around the world pilot and a STEM aviation uh, proponent. Shasta, welcome to AFPA's Hangar Talk.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about how you got started in aviation.
2: You know, it's interesting. I don't have your typical aviation story. I, I actually grew up afraid of, of flying. And part of that was because I didn't grow up nearby an airport and I didn't have any family members in aviation. Uh, So my exposure to aviation was usually on the news when I would see aircraft accidents. And I just thought, geez, this is way too scary. Airplanes are scary. Uh, So I, I stayed away from, you know, ever thinking I could have a career in aviation. And then after graduating high school, I was about 18 years old. My parents got me a ticket to fly from California to Florida so I find myself you know, getting on board a Delta Airlines flight, terrified. And I take my seat, and I'm like holding onto the armrest, thinking, my gosh, this plane's going to probably launch into the sky like a rocket. And it was going to be this roller coaster effect. But to my surprise, when this plane took off, it was the most beautiful, magical sensation I've ever felt. And I, I could feel myself being elevated from the city that I grew up in my whole life. And I thought, you know, all those years of reading geography books and seeing names of countries, they don't have to be just names in a book. They could be actual places, memories that I may have one day. And what will get me there is a career in aviation.
1: So aviation can help you explore new territories and places that you have never been before, as well as new career opportunities. Right. Now, I know that you flew around the world in a Beechcraft Bonanza. Right. Now, how old were you when you did that?
2: It was just last year. So I started at age 29, and now I'm 30.
1: Tell me a little bit about your flight lessons. You told me um, that there were some hindrances to you even learning about aviation. What did you do to overcome that?
2: I'm originally from Afghanistan, and I come from a very big family of six girls. I have five sisters. And traditionally, women from my country were housewives. You know, my mother was a housewife her mother generations before her so when I found this passion to fly which is a very male dominated industry you know it was very challenging even so I started to enroll in classes at Embry Riddle Aeronautical University that's where I got a bachelor's and a master's degree
1: in Daytona or in the Arizona oh
2: no in Daytona in Daytona Um, you know, there were just, it was very intimidating. I was in an environment where most of the classmates, you know, knew that they wanted to fly since they were three years old.
1: And they were male. Yes. And and they were male.
2: Right. Right. So I did get a little, a lot of pushback, you know, women traditionally, they do not pursue careers in aviation. And especially the fact that I'm a woman in this very male dominated industry was, was something very hard for my family to accept.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Because of the background of your family.
2: Right. And so what got me through it was every time I'd get into the airplane, I never felt like I'm a refugee, I'm a woman, I come from Afghanistan. You know, the only thing that ever mattered in the airplane was my ability to fly that aircraft. I could be whoever I wanted to be when I'm in the cockpit. And all of my, my differences, my challenges, it was just irrelevant in the, in the airplane. And so it, it was an environment flying where I could be whoever I wanted to be. Nothing mattered aside from my ability to fly the plane. And I loved that. So, so.
1: aviation transformed you.
2: Absolutely.
1: And now, were you a really good science, te- uh, technology, engineering, <laughs> and math student before you jumped Absol- on aviation?
2: Absolutely not. <laughs> I remember dreading math and science. I mean, these were were subjects that I just I wasn't really good at in school. And once I started to approach science and math, even engineering and technology with the pilot's perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought I need to learn these skill sets to become a better pilot. It allowed me to put my guard down and be more curious and more open to learning about these careers. You know, now that I have both a bachelor's and a master's in aviation subjects, I come to realize that STEM It exists in every career field that you can imagine. And I had to use a lot of STEM in preparing and planning for this global trip around the world.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of heavy-duty math. You know, the logistics are daunting. I don't know how you did it. Right. But now you are very encouraging of young people around the world. And during your flight, you stopped in like 30 different cities and countries all over the globe to help encourage young people with science, technology, engineering, and math tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So you're absolutely right. It was 30 stops in 22 different countries across five continents and the trip was a little shy of 25,000 nautical miles in a Beechcraft Bonanza. 5 months? In 145 days. So yes, roughly 5 months. And during these stops, our team, DreamStore Incorporated, the nonprofit that I founded, in a partnership with ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, we hosted events around the world where we played a video that dove into what exactly is science, technology, engineering, and math. And we did it in a way where it was exciting and interesting for kids to, to keep wanting to learn more. Um, so essentially, what we did through this global flight was bring STEM education to children around the world. And throughout the trip, I got to meet face-to-face with 3,000 kids and introduce them to STEM. So that's that was really awesome. cool. Yeah. And
1: that's excellent. And also, did you um, try to encourage other young females to follow in your footsteps?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, a majority, for Dream Store, our focus is to inspire the next generation, but we do have a key focus to increase more women into this industry, because as you and I know, we need more women, not only in STEM, but in aviation as well.
1: Well, in all kinds of businesses, but especially in aviation, right. and Absolutely. especially in engineering and technology and math, that kind of thing. Right. Think about your trip around the yes. world. And I know that there's a lot to remember, but what was one scary thing that happened <laughs> to you on that trip?
2: Wow. You know, it's so interesting because when you go on a trip around the world, you know, I had never flown over oceans or deserts, you know, and oftentimes it was me over remote parts of isolated land. And you just you never know what to expect. And so when I was flying um, around the world, I remember the Atlantic crossing, Uh I tried to cross the ocean twice. And the first time the weather in Saint John's, Saint John's, Newfoundland. That's the the airport that I initially wanted to take off from to fly down south to the Azores uh, islands off of the coast of Portugal. And of course, you know, I, I took off in in May, and the weather was just low visibility, overcast. You know, it, so
1: very challenging.
2: Very challenging. So I had to take, I had to improvise and take off from Halifax. Uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. What that meant to me was three more hours of flying across the Atlantic Ocean Um. and more fuel. So the day that I took off, I remember um, I did my first overweight takeoff uh, and, you know, I, I was flying over the ocean about 300 miles out. You know, I'm looking out, I see blue water, blue ocean and my HF antenna, uh-huh. which is an antenna that, you know, it goes from my side window out to my wingtip up to the tail. So it's this big triangle, 28-inch antenna that just sits on the exterior of the aircraft.
1: For high-frequency radio communication. Right, right So yeah. you can get in touch with people when you're in the middle of nowhere.
2: Exactly, okay. exactly. So, you know, here I am 300 miles out into the ocean, and this antenna, I can see it on, you know, of course, on the side of my window – it starts to come loose. And then the next thing I know, this antenna shears off of my aircraft, slams into the fuselage. And as I'm flying over the ocean, it's just banging against the fuselage. And the, the cockpit just goes quiet, radio silent. And my heart sinks and I'm thinking, great, you know, the challenge to this is, is that this antenna is 28 feet long. I, you know, it could go I, I don't know what will happen. It could to be this.
1: wrapped around anything, right? Any right. control
2: surfaces. It could, the winds could shift, and it could go towards the propeller. I mean, I, I really didn't know, and I, all I had to do was worry about flying the aircraft and flying towards land, so I could, you know, assess what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm flying towards land. Uh, I finally land in this airport called Saint Pierre and Miquelon. It's a, it's French territory. Okay. But it's on the coast of Canada. So I, I safely land the aircraft. I'm talking to the, the tower, and I tell them if there's a maintenance personnel on, on the field who can come out and help me. So I finally park the aircraft. I get out of the airplane, and there's a customs guy that's walking towards me. Mm-hmm. And he's very nice. He's like, hello, bonjour. And he's like, uh, he looks at me, he looks at the plane, and he says, where's the pilot? Like, where's the uh-huh. pilot? <laughs> and I'm looking at him like... Uh, hi sir I'm sorry to disappoint but I'm the only pilot and he looks at me he's like no no really where's the pilot I'm a customs agent and I said sir I promise you I'm the only person on board this airplane you know I explained to him what happened over the ocean and he said does your parents know that you're out here doing this (laughs) and I'm like of course they know and so anyways you know finally a mechanic comes up he takes the antenna off You know, as this is all happening, there's another King Air pilot on the field. And he says, hey, Shasta, you know, I know you just had this experience over the Atlantic Ocean, but you need to take off in the next 10 minutes to make it to St. John's, Newfoundland. um, The airport that I initially wanted to take off from because weather's coming in. But you have a window. If you take off in the next 10 minutes, you'll make it in. That
1: puts a lot of pressure on you.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I kind of did my I'm safe checklist. I thought, you know, I'm okay. I need to, to fly out of this island so I can actually find real mechanics who have the experience to work on my aircraft. So I made it in, I landed safely, and I had this, you know, moment with myself. I said, you know, can I really do this? Can I really fly around the world? Because if I can't, number one, I don't have to cross the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I can just tell my team at home, hey, I gave it my best shot, I can't do it. And
1: it's all about doing the best you can do.
2: Right, right. And then I thought about all the kids who... Wrote to to me to Dream Source, to encourage saying, you. Sure. yeah, who were just saying we're so excited to see you soon coming to our country, and so I thought if there was ever a time that I needed to be brave, it's now. So eventually the HF antenna was fixed. I crossed the Atlantic Ocean safely. I made it to the Azores, and you know that yep. was that so. Scary your first moment. challenge
1: happened just <laughs> right. really close to home, basically. <laughs>
2: right, right.
1: But you decided you were not going to give up, and then you yeah. had things that you really, really wanted to make this happen. Absolutely. And you knew that you were going to enlighten other kids around the world to right. perhaps like we said earlier follow in your footsteps right learn right. a little bit about aviation and careers that it could open up to them that they might have not Absolutely. thought about right
2: and i also wanted to send a message to kids that when it gets really tough that really is not a time for you to give up it's really a test to see if this is what you really want in life and so when the going gets tough you know, that's when you really just have to stick with, with your confidence and know sure. that you can do whatever it is that you're putting your mind to.
1: Absolutely. Now, I should explain to our podcast listeners here at Hangar Talk that the background noise you hear are some aircraft that are being moved into place over here at Grants Pass, Oregon, which is where I have Shasta. And we're at an event called the Magic and Wonder of Flight um, that's being put on here by the uh, Southern Oregon Education Service District. They're specifically learning about STEM programs here. Now, Shasta, you're here as uh, one of the keynotes here, or actually the keynote, and uh, tell us what you want these um, young people to learn about.
2: Well, I'm so excited to be here. I can't thank the Southern Oregon Education Service District as well as the Southern Oregon STEM organization for having me. Uh, Really, what I want to do with the kids that are participating in the event today is talk to them about STEM careers, uh, similar to what I did around the world, share my journey around the world, and, you know... One of the key things that I try to focus on is that it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, if you are passionate about anything, especially aviation, you know, work hard towards it, and your dreams will soar.
1: And speaking of which, let's give everyone that um, URL address at dreamssoar.org and it's dreams and another dot org. so there's two that's s's correct. in that
2: yes check it out you can see the route the aircraft the team all of that is on the website dreamsoar.org
1: well that's awesome now um how many real quick before we go now i know you've got to uh, speak to the group here today we're uh, by the way um, podcast listeners we're expecting about 500 uh, students between middle and high schools here in, in oregon at a grants pass uh, airport what is it that you think young people could do to get more involved in aviation, such as um, maybe looking at your own background. What, What did you have to do to really concentrate on that? And what could other folks take away from that?
2: You know, I have to say, aviation is a very passionate industry. And every person that I've spoken to when going to the airport, whether it was pilots, mechanics, airport personnel, you know, strike a conversation with someone who you know is in the aviation industry and get to know them, how did they get into the field, any advice that they can offer you. Everyone is so passionate and that passion is contagious. So for those who are unsure about aviation, you know, just, it's as simple as striking up a conversation and you never know where it's gonna lead to, oftentimes for me, it led to getting a ride on someone's airplane or someone introducing me to a scholarship fund. Um, so for the young kids out there, you know, just strike up conversations with as many people as you can.
1: That's a good point about um, scholarships. And I'm just going to mention real quick, AOPA has a lot of scholarships for young people. Right. There are numerous organizations that offer scholarships for flight training for um, college flight training, as well as local FBOs.
2: Right, and
1: right. Um, now are you guys planning on doing any of that or you have one already?
2: Yes, so we do have a scholarship fund and the applications will be coming out very soon. So I encourage for those not only to look at the AOPA scholarships, but in a couple of months check out DreamStore's website because there will be scholarships on there.
1: Sounds like breaking news that yeah. we broke here on How oh, yeah. Talk today. That's <laughs> right, awesome. Right. Now, uh, real quick before you yes. go on that, uh, do you know if it's going to be one scholarship or more than one, or are y'all still in the process of determining that?
2: Yeah, so we have a scholarship committee and what we want to do is provide scholarship opportunities to kids regardless of their background, even regardless of where they're living, um, you know, for them to be able to apply to these scholarships. So we have a committee that's putting the criteria together and our goal between now and when the scholarship fund is available is to raise as much dollars as we possibly can. Uh, So if you are with an organization that's looking to give away scholarship funds, please consider DreamSore. But our goal is, is to give out as many scholarships as we possibly can.
1: That's fantastic, Shasta Ways. We really appreciate it oh, thank uh, you. coming here and uh, in, oh, live and in person pleasure. on, yeah. on Hangar Talk. <laughs> now, where's your next destination after Oregon?
2: So after Oregon, I'm headed towards Fort Lauderdale for a safety expo where I'm going to be doing the same thing, talking to folks about the DreamSore Global Flight.
1: And folks could follow you on DreamSore.org and find out where you're going to be next. Right. right? Uh,
2: well, uh, social media. So okay. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, that's where usually where I'm going to be next is posted. But the website has a lot of just general information about who so we are.
1: So pay attention to, to the social media right, figure right. out where Shasta is going to be next. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to tell us?
2: Uh, you know, I'm just so grateful for AOPA. I mean, from the very beginning, I think one of my first interviews, um, with AOPA was in Columbus, Ohio, when a good friend of mine, Adrian Eichhorn, Mm -hmm. um, him and Adam Broom, two past earth rounders who flew around the world in the Bonanza, they met up with me in Columbus, Ohio, which was my first stop during the global trip. And, you know, you guys, I feel like AOPA has been there from the very beginning, and it's great to, to, now that the trip is done, to do a a podcast, and, you know, I, I just can't thank you all enough for all of the support that we've received Throughout the the year, well,
1: we appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much, Justin. Also, you know, having a mentor like Adrian or someone like that yes. uh, helped you out, and now Absolutely. you you are now the mentor for un, <laughs> un, untold thousands uh, of other people who might follow well, your footsteps. I
2: hope I could live up to Adrian's shoes because he he did an amazing job. Both Adrian and Adam. So, uh, for those of you who are looking for mentors. You know, they're important, but I couldn't have asked for a better mentor than Adrian.
1: Thank you very much for joining us on Hangar Talk, Shasta. I hope to see you in the future. Thank
2: you. It's my pleasure. Bye.
0: Yeah, David, I, I, it's so cool to see somebody who's um, taken on such a challenge like this trip to then try and give back to the community. And she's
1: a she's a young person too, yeah. so it's very inspiring to see a young person capturing the attention of other young people. Yeah, and getting them getting them excited to consider aviation or aerospace careers using some of that same technology and background and in just making STEM subjects fun. But also showing people that, yeah, aviation is the home for a lot of folks. It can open up a lot of dreams. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: All right. Hey, I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen.
1: And I'm David Toulis. So you could find us at AOPA.org slash Hangar Talk on iTunes and at the Sporties Takeoff app. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian.
0: Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.